This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. But as we dive kind of in today, I want to let you know, I hope you're ready to learn about Elijah because I believe God has a word for somebody this morning. I don't always know when when things are stirred up in my heart, why God puts them there. But I believe that God knows exactly who's here and who needs to hear and at what moment they need to hear it. So my prayer today that whoever is here that needs to hear this message, that you receive it, that you'd let the Holy Spirit work through you. Or if, if you would, grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of First Kings. We're going to look at First Kings chapter 17. We're going to begin a four-week a sermon series on one of the greatest men I believe God recorded in all of scriptures. His name is Elijah. And I'm going to give you the context before we read of kind of the time period that we're going to be looking at today. When Elijah was alive, the northern kingdom had experienced some 19 consecutive evil kings that spanned over a 200-year time period. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a moment because some of you here today have been inside of countries where either you've had a queen, a king, a prime minister, or you've, or you've had a, a president. And I want you to imagine not just 19 people who made no progress, but 19 consecutive people that were evil. And that's the time period that we're looking at today. And, 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 and we're looking at the king Ahab who who uh, was a very evil king, was married to a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel, and some say the most wicked girl who had ever lived. And under their reign, the Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than any of, than any of those that came before him. Now, during these times, they worshipped what we call idols. When these evil kings would turn people's hearts away from God, they would turn them to these false gods, the god of Baal, the god of Asherah. And, 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 and people would often sacrifice their own children to these false gods. They would go into temples and engage in evil things and call it worship. And it was a bad time to be in. So this was a dark, dark time, a time of, of, of some of corruption. And so we're talking about major scandals, tremendous idol worship. And God got to a point when he said, enough is enough. Now, if you know anything about my God, when he comes to that point and he says enough is enough, he's going to do something about it. <laughs> you guys know that? When he says enough is enough, these are my children, and I'll no longer let them suffer. It's time for me to step in and do something. But interestingly enough, God didn't raise up an army to take a stand against this evil king. But instead, God does what God often does, and he raises up one person to take a stand. One man. And I would argue that in today's world, God may want to do something very similar in the season that you're in. God may raise up one teenage girl to take a stand in her school to remain pure. And do you realize what that would do to the culture that we live in today? For one teenage girl to say, enough is enough, I'm not doing this anymore. For one business leader to say, you know what, I'm going to start this and I'm going to do it with character. Do you realize what that would do to, to our nation when one person, when one girl, when, 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 when one man would rise up and say enough is enough and I'm going to let God use me to, to, to make a stand in this world. God may raise up a person to resurrect a marriage. 
God might have placed it upon your heart to have a marriage ministry. It might be for a single adult. It might be for a friend that maybe you had for so long and maybe you've lost. And, and God says enough is enough. It's time to resurrect that again. Maybe it's something in your life. But here's what God often does. He raises up one man. Raises up one person. To make, a big, big, uh, to make a big difference. So today, to kind of understand who Elijah is, I want to kind of name this talk today, the making or the becoming. The becoming of a man of God. The becoming of a woman of God. So to start with that, I kind of want us to know the understanding because if you know me, I love to look at the meaning of words and, and what they mean. The word Elijah is actually comes from three different root words. You have L, I, and J. L stands for Elohim, which means God. I is the personal pronoun, meaning my or mine. And J comes from the word Jehovah. So to put it together, the name Elijah simply means my God is Jehovah. The Lord is my God. And so to put this, you know, if, if, if you are taking notes today, when God raised up Elijah to stand down the king who worshipped other gods, by his name alone, he was going to testify to the king that I don't care what you're doing, but when I stand in there, my God is Jehovah. So I want to pick this up the first time that we read about Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, the beginning of the story. We don't hardly have any background of who Elijah is. We simply know him by where he's from. Now that's important for us to understand because later on that's not the case. But to kind of begin the story, we know him for where he's from. 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from a Tishbe in, in Gilead. Now he's known once again by where he's from. He said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve. So the first statement that he's making right now is that your false gods will make no difference in me. Your idols that you worship doesn't mean anything to me. You might not know anything about me yet. You might not know who I am. You might not even know the God that I serve. But what I'm going to say, the first statement that I make is... As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve. Then he says, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, if this was a movie, at this point in the movie, the music would now go bum, bum, bum. Because this was the greatest message that anybody could have given this king in this season. He said for the next few months and years, there will be no rain and there will be no dew. To kind of put that into context this morning, in today's world, if this was to happen, this would have been an economic shutdown. In the day and age which they lived, it means nobody would have any food. If I was to relate it to who we are today, that means that there would be no more gas. That means that banks would not only lend money, but you can't even get your own out. You wouldn't have power. Life as you know it had just ended. There will be people with no food. Unemployment will reach uh, so high, the highs that we have never seen before. And people are going to be dying all over the place. So this man of God stands down the evil king and he says, no more rain. 
He said, everything that you know. Look, he, I, I can even picture him saying, hey, King Ahab, just go ahead and look out your window for just a minute. Because what you see out there will be no more. There will be no rain. There will be no dew. <laughs> Tremendous faith. Tremendous faith. So in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Elijah, okay, I just declared war against this guy. God, I need you now. I just stood up and threw out all this type of faith, but here's what happens, okay? God, God does something different. Instead, God, 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 here's what he does. He takes Elijah into a season of hiding. Now, I want you to picture the moment because he had just stood face to face with the king and said, no more rain, no more dew, everything's done. So now, God, I'm ready for you to come through. But instead, God says, no, I need you to go here first. I need you to go into a season of hiding. I need to to teach you some things. And see, what you're going to watch over the next, you know, quite a long period of time here is that when God takes Elijah away, he's telling him, I can do so much more through you if, if I take you away and teach you this, more so than if you had stayed. So I need to take you away because, because here, here's, here's the reality, okay? God has to do things through us privately so he can use us publicly. So in this season of Elijah, he said, I need to take you away. There's a season of, of some a preparation that I need to take you through. And there's three different seasons that we see here within a chapter 1. And I want to talk about those this morning because this is so important. If you want God to use you, if you're praying for God to use you in such a way that, that no one has ever seen, then sometimes that means before we get there, we have to have some preparation. So the, so the very first thing that, that God takes Elijah through, if you're taking notes this morning, is that God takes him through what I call a season of isolated pain. Of isolated pain where he's alone. He's got no one else to call out to and he's, he's hurting very privately when he's in this season of trying to hide. And verses 2 and 3, we pick this up. So verse 1, he says, no more rain. And then verse 2, he says, then the word came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. Now this word in the Hebrew, the Kareth means, if you're taking notes, the word Kareth means to cut off. It means to cut down. It means to be cut off from the source. It means to be cut off from the blessings. Or very literally, it means to cut down like you would chop down a tree. And as you can almost sense, what God is telling Elijah here, he's saying is as you go into the Kareth Ravine, I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to where you're totally dependent upon me. And I'm going to humble you privately before I use you in public. See, there are people today that I believe confuse private with public. There's people that confuse the two and they don't see sometimes that God needs to train us in in private before he uses us. He said, I'm going to do something in you that's so, so deep and later on you're going to think that I never thought this was possible but see before you get there I have to take you to the Kareth Ravine I've got to teach you there's a preparatory work that I need you to do see some of you right now this morning you might say I'm in the ravine I'm lonely got nobody else to call out to 
I took a stand for what I thought I was supposed to do and then all of a sudden everything changed. <laughs> Did you hear me this morning? And everything changed. And I don't know what to do anymore. I'm here and it's almost like in that season you're asking, where's my God at? I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. But see, what we don't realize sometimes is that in those moments when we don't think He's there, He's there. He's there. He's there even in the darkest moments. He's there even in, in, the, in those seasons where, where you feel like, where is God? He said, there's a preparatory work I need for you to do. I'm going to teach you something that you couldn't learn any other way except if you went there. Now, if you just give me a minute, I'm going to show you what you need to do. You see, I'll never forget and I've shared this before, but I want to bring this into context this morning. When we resigned from our church in Ohio, and knowing that I had heard the voice of God to become a pastor, I'd been a youth pastor for 10 years, and I'd heard the call of God in my life, and, and it was almost as if in that season he said, now, now, go, now. And so to me, the word go now meant that it's time for me to walk into my next role. See, that's what I thought. And, and so I, I sat in the office, this was June three years ago, and I I, I sat in the office of my a pastor in, in Ohio, Dallas Howard, and, I, and told him what I believed I'd heard from God. And he looks right at me and he said, I agree with everything that you just said. And I thought, well, here it comes. I'm about to have to resign and I'm about to have to pack up and I'm about to have to move. And I'm about to have to step into another calling. And, and so I, I, I resigned from, from the job. I had talked with the overseer of Ohio and I put my name in a church there not too far and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Had no money, so had to move back to Alabama. We had some savings that we had that we had saved up, and and so we moved back to Alabama, thinking, well, I know people there, so things will begin to open up. And guess what? Nothing happened. Moved in with my parents and. And uh, uh, I didn't realize that my season of excitement of leaving Ohio to step into a, 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 a pastor role was very quickly going to turn into a season of breaking. God took me to my Kareth Ravine where I, I had to learn some things. You know, because I woke up every morning making a cup of coffee, reading my Bible, felt like it was a vacation. Didn't, didn't seem real that it was something I was supposed to do every day. I was supposed to get up, get dressed, and go to work and provide for my home. But I couldn't do that. You see, there had come a time where this, this for us was a very extended season of intense pain. Our surplus that we had saved up was beginning to run dry. And I, need to, and I needed to do something, and I needed to do it quick. So another youth pastor job, you know, opened up. We had reached out to seven to eight different states. And the only church that anybody had said came open was a, a church uh, actually in, a, in a Texas that ran five and couldn't pay anything. And I'm sitting here thinking, I've got a wife and two kids. You know, I understand that as I have to walk in obedience, but that didn't seem like it was the right thing for me to do. So I took this youth pastor job, even though I had told myself, I'm not going to make a lateral move. I have to go pastor. Well, I took this job. And things went great. It, it, it was, uh, we made great relationships. We saw some amazing growth. There were events where we had over 100 kids, and it was awesome. But something was missing still. 
You see, you've got to understand that right now I'm still in the Kareth Ravine. God's teaching me things. And I, and I begin to say, well, God, have you taught me yet? And I could just imagine hearing him in the background just laughing, said, no, son, you've not even got there yet. So I went through this season of pain and just, uh, God, I've got to do more than what I'm doing now. I know that I heard your voice. Well, little did I know that my pastor would get sick. Little did I know that he would be in the hospital in and out for over a year. And little did I know that he would ask me to fill the, the, a pulpit, to hold events, to run this, to run that, to preach Palm you know, Sunday, to preach Good Friday, to preach Easter. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, God, this is what you've been trying to teach me. But I didn't see it a year ago. I thought I was just ready. He said, no, son, you weren't ready. You weren't ready. But I had to show you that you weren't ready. So I took you to the ravine so I could prepare you. So that I could equip you. So I could show you what comes next. And then would you know it that after Easter Sunday, that very next Sunday is when I interviewed right here. And God began to work everything out. It was like you've got to get here in order to get here. Then you've got to go here in order to get here. And it was one step after the other that I walked in obedience to God and began to open the doors that he needed to be opened. You see, sometimes God has to take us to the ravine to show us things that we would have never thought had, had God just did it in me. Okay, you know, there's a man, A. A. W. Tozer said, he was a great writer, and he said, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. I want to read that again because I want you to hear this. He said, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. So those of you this morning who might be in the Kareth Ravine, take confidence because you're not alone. You're not alone. Some of the great leaders have been there this season of isolated pain. Because let me tell you something, it's in the ravine. It's in the moments of pain where God can sometimes do the most through us. Why? Because we're closer to the voice of God. We're closer to hear His voice because sometimes He has to take us so as low as we can get so that we know the only thing left to do is to raise up our hands in and say, God, just use me. So I was in tune to the voice of God in this season of isolated pain. That's what Elijah was going through. Number two, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, he had to go through a season of total dependence. Of total dependence. Where Elijah couldn't depend on anything on his own. And you've got uh, verses 4, 5, and 6 here that kind of lay this out. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 4, it says, You will drink from the brook. And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Did you hear that? To all of the vegetarians, he brought meat and bread. That is, it's good to eat meat and bread. Okay, it's in the, It is in the Bible. So here's what Elijah did. He, God does this miracle in the middle of a drought. Don't forget that. Because what Elijah had prophesied to happen to the king did happen. 
And they were in a drought where there's no water, where there's no food. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the Kareth Ravine, there's a brook that's got water. And these ravens are going to bring him food. Think about it. It's a miracle in that moment. What is God teaching Elijah that, hey, depend upon me? Depend on me. Man can't give you what you need, but I can. And Elijah had to learn that, okay? So he's got this, these birds, they, they find the bread and meat and every morning and every evening, and they deliver them straight to the prophet. What was God doing? God was very clearly and very, he was saying that no matter what and for always, I will be faithful. You can, do, you can depend upon me and you can count on me to provide for all your needs. And isn't that just like the God that we serve? That when we need him the most, that he's there to provide for us. You see, many of you right now, you might be in a season where there, there is something that you used to trust in. And it's been taken away and you don't have anything else to trust in. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you can trust the giver of life and you can trust the giver of all good things. And you're having to learn that when everything else that you used to believe in fades away, God will forever and always be faithful to you. Forever and always, God says, I will be your provider. When you can't depend on what you used to be able to depend on, I'll deliver what you need. Here's the cool thing about it. God didn't give him two days worth of food. God didn't give him a week's worth. God didn't give him a, a multiple month supply. What did God give him? Enough for the day. He gave him enough for the day. Some of you, you're going to learn that right now you're in a season and you're in pain and you're alone and you might be afraid. But guess what? God delivers enough for the day. He'll give you everything you need for the right now. And when you wake up tomorrow morning and you need more, pray to your Lord God in heaven again. And what will he do? He will provide for, for the day. And when that's over and you need something else, get back on your knees and pray to God again. Because he's the God that will give you everything that you need right now. Come on, somebody. He's teaching him to depend upon God. He's teaching him that no matter where you are, you don't need this and you don't need that. All you need is me. He says, God, I'm weak. He says, but I'll be your strength. He says, God, I'm sick, but I'm your healer. He says, God, I don't have enough, but I'm the provider. He's teaching him that everything in his life, would he have learned that had he have just stayed where he was? But instead, God had to take him to the ravine where he cut him, where he had to rehab him, where he had to humble him, where he had to teach him, where he had to break him. Because he's learning in that moment that God is going to be able to do more for me later because of what he's doing in me now. Number three, thing that we need to learn about our God is that in this season of Elijah, not only did he have to take him away, not only did he have to learn that I have to have total dependence upon God, but number three, he had to learn that Elijah had to have an unconditional obedience. Unconditional 
obedience. There's isolated pain. There's total dependence. And then you have to obey. In verse 7, 8, 9, the story begins to break down. And what's God doing? He, he told me to do this. He told me to tell the king there's a drought. But then he took me away. God, I don't understand. What are you doing right now? I thought I did what you told me to do. You did, son. Then why am I here? Just wait. I'm about to show you. Depend upon me. Trust in me. And then 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Because guess what? It doesn't always last forever. And because there had been no rain in the land, and the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Azarephath and in the region of Sidon and stay there. Now let's put ourselves in the prophet's place. It's been months now that he's been by this ravine. It's been giving him water every single day. And I can promise you the day before, he probably said, there's enough that'll last me for all time. And then all of a sudden he wakes up that next morning and what he thought was there is now gone. Imagine that. These birds were just miraculously dropping in meat and bread and now there's not a bird in the sky. What's going on? And God told him to go there and he went there and now it dries up and now he's telling me to move on? What's this about? And, and, and God, God told me to go there and in my mind I'm starting to think, okay God, where are you? What's the purpose of me being here? You gave me water, now it's dried up. Did I do something wrong? Did I miss you somewhere along the way? Do we not as Christians, let's be honest, and I'll be numero uno right now to tell you that this is me. That there's some times where we do things and it goes great and it works well. And then something happens and I, and I go to God and I say, God, what did I miss? What did I miss? Did I miss something? Did, did you try to tell me something? Have we ever been there? Have we ever been there? I know I'm not the only one this morning where I said, God, what did I miss? Because here's what Elijah's about to learn. That the same God who gave the water can also take it away. Because often, my God, you got to hear this right now, okay, church? Listen, God may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to leave where we are and go to where we're supposed to be. God may cause the brook to dry up. So that it gives us the courage to leave from here and go to there. Because God's ultimate purpose for us was to go there. But I couldn't go there unless I was first here. Does that make sense? So my, my brook is drying up. You might be saying that this morning. I used to be able to trust in my job, but I'm not so sure I can trust in that anymore. I used to have all this savings. We went through all the surplus of savings that we had. And we got to the point where I'm not sure we're going to be able to buy bread tomorrow. I've got to do something. My brook dried up. And you're saying, I used to be able to trust, and I had all these good friends, and then it's like one day they turned on me, and my, and, and, and my brook dried up. And I used to believe that my marriage was good. It would last a long time, but, but now it seems like my brook has dried up. And a lot of times people will say this, and they'll say, God guides by what he provides, and he does. And preachers will say, you know, where there is a vision, God gives the Right, and then he'll say where God guides, he, he often provides. And I believe that with all of my heart. I believe it. I want you to know I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. But can I also say this? I also believe that God guides by what he does not provide. I want to explain it to you this morning. 
Because the same God who gave the water may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to take the step of total obedience. I wanted to pastor a church so bad. I left. The very thing that I wanted so bad, God withheld from me in that season so I could see the thing that I couldn't have seen if he had provided what I had wanted him to. Does that make sense? If he had just went ahead and said, okay, you did what I called you to do. Now, here's your church. Would I have learned everything that I needed to learn? I wasn't ready yet. And I'm still learning. I don't have all the answers. I'm learning every single day. But let me tell you something. I'm farther along right now than when I was then. Why? Because I went through my Kareth Ravine. Because God took me through a season of pain, of hurt, where he taught me and he, and he equipped me and he gave me the courage to go there. You see, I want to make this reference. Has anybody seen the movie, The uh, Karate Kid? Has anybody seen it? What a fantastic and amazing movie. I love that movie. But I love this particular scene when you've got, you've got a Daniel and he's trying to learn to fight. And he goes to Mr. Miyagi and he says, teach me to fight. And, 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 and then Mr. Miyagi says, okay, first paint my fence. Why do you want me to paint your fence? He said, and after you've painted my fence, he, well, he's out there doing it and he's painting his fence. And he says, no, Daniel, do it this way. Do it this way. And he says, now go wash my car. This isn't teaching me how to fight. He goes to wash the car. No, do it this way. Do it this way. And then he said, scrub my floor. No, do it this way. I, I, I came here so you could teach me to fight. And then they begin to teach him. And then, um, and then um, if you know the story, he then begins to, to, to a fight. And he says, but no, Daniel, in order to block my punch, you've got to paint the fence. And, oh, and, and if, you, if, if you really want to push my hand away, then you've got to wash the car. And if you really want to hit me really good, you've got to scrub the floor. You see, what he didn't see was that the years of preparation was going to lead him to the very thing that he had wanted. Come on. We don't see it in the season that we're in. We don't see it in that moment. But we have to realize that what God is teaching me right now, he is doing so because he's preparing me for what I really want in my heart. Come on, somebody help me out this morning. Some of you might be in pain and you might be questioning, God, why am I in this season? He's saying, learn what I'm trying to teach you. Because what I'm trying to teach you is going to help you. But if you don't learn this, I, can't, I cannot take you there. I can't take you to your next purpose, to your next step, to your next mission until you learn this. My God, help me. And God says to the prophet Elijah, go to the Kareth Ravine. Huh? What's that? Be fed by ravens. What? But then the brook's going to dry up. Why? And God causes him to go into this new place. And the story is rich. I don't have all the time in the world to read through it. If you have some time, read through the rest of this chapter. I'm going to hit some of the high points. But what happens is, at the end of verse number 9, go ahead and throw up verse number 9 again. He says, go at once. And what's he say? I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. 
Because once again, God provided in the moment. God provided for the day. Well, God, my brook dried up. The birds aren't bringing me food. That's okay because I've already set this in motion. Now go to the widow's house. And there you'll see what I need for you to see. So he humbles himself and he goes to the house and he says, Ma'am, I'm really thirsty. Ma'am, I need some food. I need just a little snack and I'm kind of hungry. And the widow looks at him and goes, Are you the only guy that doesn't know we're in a drought? We don't have water. I'm using the last little bit that I have to make our last meal. This is all I've got. Uh, and, and, and this is where the story picks up. And i got to read this to you because it's the best way to really learn what this is about. 1 Kings 17, verse number 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. You see, because by this point, I think Elijah's built enough, en enough confidence in God that he's kept me all this time. So what's to say he's not going to do it now? So he walks into this lady's house, somebody he doesn't know, and says, don't be afraid. <laughs> Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me for, for what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon this land. So she, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. And there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her entire household. For the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Verse 20, then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with? By causing her son to die, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And he looks at an impossible situation. And speaks faith into it. And he says, the flour you have won't run out. The oil, it's not going to run dry. You're going to have enough food for you, your house, and for me. Son gets sick. Something happened that had never happened before. Elijah crawled on top of the boy and laid across his boy. If you read later on in Scripture about Elisha, because remember, Elisha was a, you know, Elijah passed the mantle on to Elisha. And there was another situation, another story in the Bible when a son got sick and Elisha laid across the boy. So you've got to know that Elijah was teaching. Elijah laid across the boy, and here's what happened. God used the horrible thing to shape him into the true man of God. The son was alive. The son had lived. When it, don't you think that maybe from the very beginning, it, his purpose wasn't to tell the king that a drought was coming. God's purpose was always to heal that son. But he would have never got to the son had he not gone to the ravine. 
Because some, the place that we are going, we have to do everything in between in order to get there. You see, next week we'll see that, that God, uh, God gave him faith and courage as one man to stand down 450 false prophets and send fire from heaven. Why, Why could Elijah have that much faith? Why could Elijah have had such faith? Why? Because he had been through the ravine. He had been through the Kareth ravine. Some of you right now, I'm going to close in just a moment. You're in a season of pain. And God may just say to you, I'm doing something in you right now because one day I'm going to be able to do more. Verse 1, Elijah was described by where he was from. But 23 verses later, in 1 Kings 17, verse number 24, watch this. He is no longer known by where he's from. But then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. It used to be where he's from. Now he's known by whom he's from. He said, I, Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. He just raised her son. She had just seen a miracle, and she's like, now I know. Now I know, and you, you are a woman of God this morning. You are a man of God. You are a child of God. You, God is shaping all the experiences and all the seasons that you're going through because one day God's going to put you in front of somebody that you're going to be able to minister to because of everything that you've gone through. And when you show them and when you teach them and when you pray over them, they're going to finally realize, oh, that's not Chris Holder who lives in Oklahoma, but that's Chris Holder, the man of God. They're not going to see you by where you're from. They're going to see you by whom you're from. Why? Because God wants to do so much through you publicly. But he can't do it until he trains you privately. If I can have some music playing. My God, help me. There might be somebody in here, I said at the beginning of this message, that only God knows Who's going to be here? And only God knows who this message is going to touch and minister to. You might be here this morning you, and you say, Pastor, there's things I used to trust in that aren't there anymore. I've got nowhere else to go but God. And I'm learning to trust Him. I really am, but it's hard sometimes. And some of you might say, my brook has dried up and I can no longer stay where I was comfortable. Now I've got to go somewhere new. You might be in that season of isolated pain. You might be in that season of total dependence. You might be in that season of unconditional obedience. Maybe there's a job that he's called you to that you don't know quite yet if he needs to take Obey. 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 The name Elijah means the Lord is Jehovah. God had an amazing plan and purpose for Elijah. But to get him where he needed him, he had to cut away. He had to remake. He had to mold. He had to take him to the, to the ravine. And it was there that God was able to do in him what he needed to do so that Elijah could be used in the mighty way that we know that he was. So if you're there, you're in good company. This altar call today is to let you know that you're not alone. You're not alone. 